Hi Ventures, welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host Freddie Cocker and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. In each episode, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for today's episode is a returning guest and someone who first came on the podcast almost four years ago now, way back when, in JSIP 31. Sam Evans works in the healthcare industry and is a mental health advocate in his own right. In part one, we discussed his exposure to mental illness when one of his friends tragically took his own life and it ignited a desire in Sam to help other men with their mental health. He has since put his words into action and taken part in Mental Health Campaign Movember several times and has recently been made lead of his internal mental health group at work. In part two, we discuss that promotion, how his understanding of mental health and mental illness has changed and how he has learned more about his own mental health in the last four years. We also discuss the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on his mental health And when is the right time to healthily detach from supporting someone's mental health? This is an uncomfortable conversation the mainstream mental health conversation refuses to have because the ugly side of mental illness isn't awareness campaigns and pointless slogans in some places, but requires huge levels of patience for someone, perseverance and recognising there does come a point when a person needs to take personal responsibility for their mental health. At the end of it all, as I often say, The only person who can truly help us out of a mental health crisis is ourselves. And we explore that topic deeply in this podcast. So this is how part two of my conversation with Sam Evans went. As I live and as I breathe, Sam Evans, welcome back to the Just Checking In podcast. That's a great question, Fred. (laughs) How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Bella? Are you good? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm good. A week in politics is a long time, and it's been almost four years since we recorded. (laughs) Episode, I want to say, 31. This will be, all being well, episode 230 classic episodes and 308 or 9 all in. in. Love it. That's a long time, bro. (laughs) It's It's a a long long time. time. How have you been since then, mate? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, everything's changed, right? And everybody... Everybody was Different world, mate, innit? Literally. <laughs> literally. It's funny saying that, though, because has my life changed that much, I suppose, is a, is a different question, right? Because, like, I think, yeah, I just moved out of Putney when I and went back home for a bit when we recorded it. And I've been back there ever since I moved back. Yeah, still working for the same same company, <laughs> still selling the same stuff. So, yeah, and still trying to travel around the world and do my silly Guinness Thursdays and my uh, mystery trip. Mate, some, some things change, some things <laughs> stay the same. Do you know what I mean? We've got lots to talk about, some really important conversations on this podcast, mate. So without further delay, are you ready to start the show? Let's do it. We're going to start this part two, mate, by diving back into your mental health journey. So tell me, first of all, how you reflect on part one maybe the feedback you received and uh, what's happened in the last almost four years in the Sam we meet now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in terms of like 
the feedback and stuff that I've received from that, I think, if I'm honest, I was actually surprised at how few people from back home said anything. How few people? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was interesting because I had a lot of people from... Obviously uni, met, obviously, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. You know what I'm about and, and like Welsh people I've met at uni. Would <laughs> course, every Welsh person you know probably that <laughs> you went to uni with. Yeah, that's very true. Um, <laughs> You're like moths to a flame, Welsh people in any area. We always you? find each other. <laughs> Always find each other. You and Glaswegians. Any <laughs> music festival. Why is there loads of Scots here? Why do they all know each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think strength in numbers. Let's yeah. go with that. Yeah, not that many people from back home really spoke to me about it at all. But um, did that surprise you? Yeah, it did. If I'm honest, because I think that conversation has been expanding. Like you know, like obviously the reason why we had mm. part one was talking about how difficult it is in places in that part of the world. You know, like classic traditional working class mining industrial areas to kind of break through that kind of stuff but I'd like to think there's probably more to it than that so yeah whether they've messaged anything or whether they've listened to it you'll never know but mm. and then yeah in terms of like how I've reflected on it I think I think one of the things that we actually touched on it do you remember when we did the one pint Guinness oh yeah live? we did yeah 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 my short lived Instagram live check-ins <laughs> which are basically just podcasts and I was like what the fuck am I doing this <laughs> Think, yours was good mate it was a lot of views yours yeah, was a lot of views go. I remember doing that at my dad's desk my parents house back on god I did it in my parents house as well with <laughs> crappy Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah one of the things I've reflected on quite a lot since then is the sound that I probably was when I was at home and like my first couple of years at uni which we touched on I think it was either on the pod or on the live it's about like how I was probably trying to force a direction on the people I came into contact with and being like... What direction do you mean? I think just in terms of... I think I probably felt like I knew quite a lot and was like, <laughs> I'm really smart. No! You, Sam! Never! <laughs> Thanks, Fred. You, you claim you know a lot of that stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. Thanks, listeners. Um, yeah, I think I was really just probably thinking that I knew more than everybody else. And I think the more and more I've been thinking about it and the more I've seen this unfold in my life, like about what I've probably been trying to do with people and reach out to people and offer support networks with mm-hmm. people and whatever. I think the more it probably comes back to me trying to think that that's the best way I can contribute to the world is probably through other people, right? And trying mm-hmm. to help people do a little bit more than they might have on their own. And I think that's probably always been in my kind of core character. I just probably don't think I showed honed that. it, honed yeah. it well enough. You think you think honed I, it now? I don't think I was aware of it until Fair. probably the last three or four years that that was what it was maybe even two years that that's mm. what it is i think yeah which is interesting i think that kind of reflects to the rest of the themes of what we've spoken about recently and self-awareness yeah and stuff. yeah i do but i think it's probably good intentions maybe just coming out in in other directions yeah well-meaning but needed to be honed a bit more and um more rounded i think shall so. we say okay I think so. and did anything surprise you about the feedback you received positively then you know, maybe anyone you didn't expect to listen to it maybe sent you a nice message or something like that? Um, do you know, probably the biggest surprise was, like, my family. Because I think, like, you know, I, I struggle to keep my mouth shut at the best time. <laughs> no! Right, let's not make this a theme. Right? <laughs> that's the last time, that's the last time, I promise. <laughs> yeah, I think my family was probably the interesting one, and especially, like, my parents. And, yeah, just them kind of having probably a different insight into the way the last few years of my life had been. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I've been away at uni since I was... 18 right mm. and I'm 28 now I've been away for nearly 10 years mm. so it's an interesting one that and I think that was probably the bit that surprised me the most and I think we've had a lot more conversations and stuff since well that's then. great yeah which yeah. is great yeah. which is great and I think it's 
good for bad, whatever. But I think that's also brought a little bit out of my parents in terms of how they talk about stuff, especially mm. my father, talking about stuff differently now, which is great. That's a positive catalyst oh. then, mate. That's what you wanted to achieve great. with a pod. Yeah, you I mean. can't, put, can't put it all to that or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Mm. So yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest surprise. And then coming back to self-awareness and self-actualization, or however we want to call it, how has that changed in the last three years since we chatted? Yeah, I think... I think a lot of this probably stems from the amount of time I've probably spent on my own mm. since then, which has not been the case in the rest of my life, right? Because if I think about when I lived at home, I was at my parents around, or I was playing rugby, or I was in school, or I was doing something. Then when you're at uni, it's exactly the same, right? You're either in lectures or not, <laughs> in the library or not, or on the piss with the boys, like... Or, or not. Or not, yeah. <laughs> and it's all of that. You've got stuff going on. I was playing mm. football, whatever. And I think... This is probably the first period of my life where I had maybe an extended thing, extended period of time on my own, in my own head and in your own thoughts. And you get more reflective then because mm-hmm. you, you stop. And I think that's probably the first time in my life where that's happened. And then you just start thinking, right, okay, what do I want to do now? Where do I go from here? Like, is this going to be the rest of my life? And you think that both professionally, personally, stuff that affects you, stuff that doesn't, stuff you can move past, stuff you can't. People you want to spend time with, people you don't. Exactly, man. Exactly. You can make a decision a yeah. lot more easily than you can in uni when you're kind of around the same people all the time. Yeah. 100%. And I think that was really it for me was, and again, I've just been thinking about it a little bit more. And yeah, I think that was probably the first time I've really stopped to think. And then, yeah, you do get in your own head, right? And then you do start thinking, okay, I can feel a little bit more this way if I want to, but maybe mm-hmm. I've got to do something to get myself out of it after a little while. Um, but yeah, I would say that's probably the crux of it. And what have you learned the most or maybe what have you learned that's also surprised you about yourself in kind of going through this process? Yeah. I think the thing I've probably become the most aware of is I do go within myself for a little bit and that's fine. And I think that like, obviously being pretty extroverted, I think that's been probably consistent through most of my life that when I am feeling a bit down that I just go quiet and just, you know. Um, it's the hardest thing for extroverts to mask <laughs> being upset in it. That's hate it, it. If People always know. People yeah. always know. But I think when you're quiet and then you're in the house on your own, nobody can see that you're, yeah. you're upset, right? Or can see that you're quiet or notice that in your behavior or, or your personality. So, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've been aware of and the biggest thing that I've learned is that that is me and that is my response to stuff that gets to me. Mm. But then I've got to get myself back on, on the track, right? So, you know, I'm very lucky to live where I do and can go down to the river and just within 30 seconds, I can just be sat there watching the lovely Thames go past and, you know. I mean, lovely is a word, yeah. but <laughs> the, the sewage-infused Thames. Well, the second most polluted river in the world, isn't yeah. it? But it's just having those outlets and being aware of it. And I think yeah. that's the thing I've been definitely the most aware of is this is what happens when Sam is feeling a certain way. Mm. And this is probably what Sam needs to do to react to it, I think. When we last spoke in April 2020, God almighty, that was a long time ago, we had just entered what would be a three-year-long global pandemic unprecedented in recent modern history in our lifetime probably in our even our parents lifetimes so how did it impact your mental health particularly as you had at the time been constantly out and about as part of your job yeah i think there's a few things that shook it up right so i moved home for six months big change for my parents big change for me right i'd been away for five six years when that happened 
so that was a change for all of us, right? So, and obviously there's loads going on. You've got family dynamics that are changing, different things that's broken up, like people who can't see each other all the mm. time or as often as they would. And that's difficult, right? And I think it's important to recognize that that was very difficult for everybody. Nobody's life was the same as it was before, right? So yeah, it's BC and AC. Yeah, literally, yeah. mate. Yeah, before COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did that. <laughs> very good. But then from a professional perspective, we were as busy as we'd ever had been. Everybody was asking us about what's going on and changing and all of this different things. So that was really keeping you busy and I was really excited about that. Like I was in my God, I was in my second year of my grad scheme then and my life has changed exponentially through mm. work doing that. So yeah, I think it's I try to look back fairly fondly on that because it's probably the most amount of time I'll spend with my parents. Exactly, I was going to say, yeah, was that nice? Nice in heart. (laughs) Yeah, nice in places and difficult in others. They probably say the same about me. But yeah, I think, you know, you've got to remember that and go, I probably won't spend six months living with my parents probably ever again. Mm, So, mm. you know, you've got to look back fondly on that. And I think then obviously moved back to London eventually, moved in with two of the boys that I met through work and we've been living together ever since. So again, that's happened for a reason and some of the you know some of the fun we've had together over the last three three and a half years none of that probably would have happened if the pandemic hadn't disrupted everything yeah. so and how did you adjust back to normality because it started off as like a semblance of normality and it became like full normality again because i as i did a uh, quite a few interviews i even did a channel four interview just before we kind of came back out and people were talking about the roaring 20s mm-hmm. and all this rubbish right and i was like i don't think it's gonna happen i think we're probably gonna get worse a little bit I said on a previous interview that I did that's probably coming out in a couple of weeks I was correct but I almost wasn't correct enough this is one of, this is one of the few times that I'll say I wasn't right enough <laughs> trust me on that listeners because mm-hmm. I'm wrong a lot so how did you adjust back to that life because it was weird wasn't it it was really weird yeah it's very weird I think probably the difficult part for most people in kind of similar situations to myself would be that your working life became the majority of your yes. like waking hours, which I would say is probably not the case even now. And, you know, I have more responsibility now than I did before, but it's not the majority of my waking hours because I can separate from it. Whereas then it was complete, because it was the only thing you could really do. No, yeah. yeah, and yeah. That, that's very tough for people in their early 20s because you always feel like you want to prove yourself in your work, especially when you're on a grad scheme or whatever you want to feel. And a lot of people do that through volume. Mm. And I think when <laughs> we can attest to that, yeah, both totally, of us, mate. Totally. Volume literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think that was the big thing for me was like it then became like the majority of my life and I was working and living in the same place. My housemates mm. are both doing the same. So, you know, even if I did switch my laptop off at 501, my housemate was working five yards away from me. He's not, he's still cracking on. So I can't go and lie on the sofa, which means I then sent myself up to my bedroom and then I fall asleep at 6.30 p.m. Oh, it was a it was like, weird time, wasn't it? It's just so weird, mate. And I think that was probably the big thing for me in terms of that disruption. But I, I think probably the biggest thing that's come out of it, I think people have become, I don't want to use the word selfish because I don't think that's necessarily right, but it's like you only get one go round, right? Mm. Like, And people are, doing all the stuff that they've probably always wanted to do and I think that perspective that it offered people once everything there's pros and cons to that I guess as well totally so like the amount of my friends that have left their jobs or moved country and gone and done like six months traveling or broken up with people that they weren't meant to be with long term (laughs) and all that and you go as drastic as that and whether it required a global pandemic to force that I don't know but that stuff's great like Mm. if you want to go and move to Australia and do your life down there for a few years go do it would they have had that same mindset if their whole worlds hadn't been changed for a couple of years? 
I don't know what they've ever done. Oh, and, and you also have got to probably factor in that, you know, some of those people may have lost people yeah, totally. to COVID or people who they've seen severely impacted by, you know, long COVID still a thing, you know what I mean? So it wasn't just, I guess, people going back to not having anything, but possibly losing people as totally. well along with it. Yeah. Do you know one of the phrases I actually heard, um, somebody said this to me recently was, you know, the phrase is you only live once, right? <laughs> and people use that as the classic YOLO lifestyle. Actually, that's heard- straight 2010 vibes. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you heard something the other day which completely changed the perspective for me was that you only die once. Oh, I guess I said this on the podcast before. I can't remember who it was, but I actually loved that saying. You only die once. Yeah, yeah. So good, right? Because like you can say you only live once and yeah, depends how you want to spin it, right? But you can do different stages of your life at different places and mm. different parts of the world with different people in different sects, like whatever you want to do. But you do only die once. I used the word selfish, which I said I think is wrong. But... You have to be thinking about, right, what do I want to do? I think maybe more focused. Let's do that. Yeah. I want to talk about the main part of your continued mental health journey now, mate, which you want to discuss. And it's a topic that, as I said in the intro, most people in the mainstream mental health conversation don't really want to talk about. They choose not to or they kind of prefer more fluffy things because mental illness, as we both know, is not pretty. It's not rainbows. It's ugly. It's dark. It can make good people do very bad things to their loved ones, their friends, and lash out and do all those sorts of behaviours. And when it comes to supporting someone who is mentally ill, you have to have a lot of qualities like perseverance, patience, compassion, a hell of a lot of empathy. So just tell me about this from your perspective and how you've navigated it in the various relationships you've had to support people through. Yeah, I think... I do think a lot of this stems from, you know, what we just touched on about being more self-aware, aware, yep. focused. And that is a thing that mentally ill people it are is, not man. great at. Is they're not great at self-awareness. Yeah, yeah and I think Because they're mentally ill. <laughs> I think that, and it's important to recognise, right, that a lot of people, they might behave in different ways to how you might have expected in the past. And I think, you, you know, you've got to be conscious of that. Mm. But I think, and this isn't something that, again, I've probably become more aware of and more mature with in the last few years is... I can only be responsible for myself. So if something's going to impact me negatively long-term through whatever, and whether that's a behavior that I do, whether that's an environment I put myself in, I think that's where I've, I'm a lot older, a lot uglier now than I was a few years ago. <laughs> Don't uh, say the second one, mate. Don't <laughs> say the second one. <laughs> yeah, I think the point being that there are situations you'll find yourself in your life that you will know that aren't necessarily good for you. And I think that's what I've become a bit aware of is having to put those boundaries in place for Healthy myself. Healthy detachment, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then how that then pertains to supporting people in different walks of life and at different stages of journeys through mental health, whatever it might be. It's really difficult to not think of the what if, right? To mm. go, if I don't pick up the phone however many times and then something happens, is it the 10th time that I don't pick up the phone that that's, mm. the, that's the day or the week or whatever? So it's now impossible to think that way. Well, to know that as well. Of course. Like, I think a lot of people have that guilt element when perhaps it's one phone call. Like I've heard so many times when, like I read Danny Cipriani's latest, um, well not latest, his new autobiography and it was a really good read actually and I, I learned a lot from it and he had so much mental turmoil around he was preparing for a game and his friend is Caroline Flack and she phoned him and he just texted her saying sorry I'm preparing for a game I'm in the mindset like I'll talk to you after the game and he reflected saying looking back that was probably the phone call before she took her own life he obviously felt horrific about that and you naturally feel so much guilt and even though it's not his fault you would feel that so I think 
it's really important what you say because the one phone call I think people have so much guilt about, but the 10th one, how do you even know? Yeah, I think that's it. And I think I think this is really pertinent to all walks of life, not just mental illness, right? Mm. I think another thing that maybe getting a little bit older has taught me is you grow up in the environment that is created for you and then you start to create an environment for yourself as mm-hmm. you become older and you know you move through your own walks of life. And I think separating those two is not always right for everyone you know like I love seeing my friends who have still got loads of friends that they grew up with and they're still incredibly close to their families and seeing that being a big part of their lives I think that's amazing but I do think that's the minority now I really really do like I saw a funny tweet the other day which was like what's um, one thing about growing up that surprises you and it's like not all of your friends should ever be in the same room at the same time Agreed. you don't need to it like all of your because it's just different Um, you're not going to get through your whole life about having those friends intact as well actually I think that's another thing that you learn so yeah, I think there's something there and, you know, obviously we can dig into it a little bit more. But mm. yeah, that would be my last message to anybody listening is just, it's okay. Like mm. you can only try as hard as you can. One of the phrases that I, I was thinking of on, on the way here actually was like, you can be a rung on the ladder for somebody. You can't be... The ladder. You can't be the ladder. You can't, <laughs> you be, can't the f- be the ladder, mate. No. You can't be the first rung. You can't be the second Because you'll one. fall apart. Yeah. Because how many first rungs are you going to be for how many different people? Yeah. And that's a really important point because I think when someone, and it depends on the mental illness and the, the condition that they have, but say someone who's got really, really severe depression and one of the symptoms of depression is a, a negative outlook on life or a pessimism or, or a lack of interest in certain things that they love. And if someone is supporting someone who's got severe depression and they're saying how shit life is and how this and this and this and maybe even trying to convince the other person that life is shit, it can actually pull that other person into their orbit. How do you create in yourself healthy detachment between supporting someone in crisis and not absorbing some of that illness yourself? Because it is hard. It's almost like a contagion. Yeah, I think probably the first step I usually take when anybody's sharing anything with me is is empathy first, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe not going into solution mode, but to try and understand what might have made them feel the way that they do. And, you know, if I can see why they might have thought that certain way or whatever, sharing that with them, Mm -hmm. you know, I get that. Or I can see how that's made you feel that way. But I also think then you've got to come back to your own roots, right? And however many years you've lived on the planet, you've had a lot of exposure to certain things that will make you feel the way that you do, make you respond to yourself, to whatever situations you find yourself in you probably have to lean back on that and go, this is how I feel based on my experience. Because we've all got our scars and our war paint on every now and again, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's the number one thing I would recommend or how I certainly process things anyway. But I think you've also then got to look at it and go, right, point A that person has mentioned to me, I didn't interpret it that way, but I feel a bit crap about this same point And this is how I maybe express mm-hmm. or how I process it or why I think it's a bit crap. And that's also fine, you know, and if you want to share that with certain people, if you might want to share it with the person who shared it with you, then that's your decision if you want to do that, because that might help them. It might not. I don't know, right? Because you don't want to double down on things, right? You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, this is crap. They tell you why they think it's crap. You do the same. But if you feel it might be helpful for them to probably feel a little bit more justified in feeling the way that they do. I think it's about listening and validation, but not validating the negative of their illness so if they're saying my life is shit and you go i appreciate you saying that and it sounds like you're going for a really hard time i don't think the right response is to go yeah life is shit man yeah life is shit i agree with you 
you have to counter rather than absorb and, and it's almost like a negative validation you don't want to negative validate that I think as well, when you support someone in crisis, and especially for a prolonged period of time, we're not talking about here like a week or two weeks, maybe even we're talking about six months, a year, who knows how long it might be going on for. I said in the intro, at the end of the day, we can support as many people as we can in crisis, but the person who's going to get them out of that is themselves. It has to be personal responsibility. It has to be ownership at the end, eventually, right? If that person isn't doing that, how do you healthily draw the line? Because that's a conversation the mental health community, I'm doing in air quotes, ain't really having right now. Yeah. I think that all comes back to the individual who is probably doing the support. Because I also think, right, you know, we were talking about the 10th phone call. The 10th phone call might be the one that pushes somebody over the edge to go, oh, Sam, just piss off, mate. Just leave me alone. Which, again, might force What do you mean if the other person receiving it has a negative reaction mm. oh i see okay I see yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i really do think you have to be very personal in that decision and it might be that you switch off one element of your support network which might be the weekly phone call or the weekly whatsapp or mm. whatever it might be and then you maybe change your tack to a, a slightly different something that might cause you to have less or put less pressure on yourself so i certainly know of people who've got like reminders in their calendar to text someone however frequently that they decide to do because you can see that, right? Everybody has it. If you're ever looking, if you work anything where you have a calendar, you can see something coming up. Look at the Monday and you look at your week and you're like, right. See okay. a little dot in my, in my yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah, my calendar. yeah, exactly. You dot on your phone, <laughs> right? And you look at it and you're like, hmm, okay, what's that? And that can also be anxiety inducing or put the people who are maybe giving the support into a certain place. Now, like I said, the weekly text reminder is not something that I do, but I think that would be my key advice to people would be that if you've got, to a certain point where you don't feel like you can do anything more for a certain individual and you may be doing or showing your support in certain different ways, maybe you switch off the one that you find to be the most emotionally taxing. Yes. Might be the word yeah. or phrase I would use. It's a fine line as well. So I've supported people who are in very, very deep crisis. And I didn't do this deliberately, I don't think, but say I would text them every day for a check-in. I'd always say like, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling today? And then as I saw them getting better, I maybe reduce it to like once a week. And then when I knew that they were kind of back on their own two feet, I'd probably stop that. And then once every now and then back to how the relationship was normally. I think that's a really good tool, but that only works if that person is getting better, right? Mm. But if that person isn't getting better, I would say if you have given them tools or advice or guidance once and they're not following that and they tell you things which you would warrant yourself saying it again, I think probably the best course is to say, look, I've told you what I think you should do or what would help. Now it's up to you. Hmm. I think now it's up to you. I think it's quite a good way of healthily detaching because you can say that you've helped them, but I'm not just going to repeat myself and repeat myself for the sake of it. For sure. It's an interesting one as well because you think like, it, <laughs> it sounds almost trivial, but you know when you tell people, let's say somebody's going out into a certain place, right? They were like, oh, we went to this pub. And it was rubbish. And I was like, well, I told you to go to a different pub. Like, I told you that pub was going to be rubbish. And, like, you can almost put it in that kind of... Yeah, for me once, shame on me. Yeah, yeah, for me yeah. twice, shame on you. Exactly, yeah, yeah. right. And, and, you know, we're not downplaying anything here. But I think the point that you've just mentioned there is exactly it, right? Is And it might be once, it might be four times, it might be five times. That's all individual. You have to draw the line. You've got to draw a line some somewhere. Yeah. You have to. And, and I do, like I say, I think this is pertinent for all walks of life, not just mental health. If you're repeating yourself over and over again, 
you know, whether it be with a family dynamic or in a relationship. Like, that is definition of insanity, by the way. <laughs> saying the same thing and expecting different results. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? But again, when it's people that you love and it's people that you care mm. about, you almost expect them to listen to you at some point or you expect that they should listen to you. And the reality is, they don't owe you anything. Nobody owes anyone anything. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> you only wake up in your own body, so... That was my next question, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Unpack that for me. Yeah, I think that probably comes back to, and if I, if I think about myself, right, I've been very supported by my family and my parents especially for as long as I can ever remember and as much as I could ever have asked for. But I've had to do my own thing since I was probably 18 in terms of really believing in myself to go and do what I wanted to do, like leave my support network at home and then not really go back to it full time. Yeah, I think I've had to be my own biggest fan and believe in myself. Mm. And so maybe this is something that I'm more aware of is that, I've done my own thing for a long time. You've been very independent for a long time. I've had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I've had to. If so I had no choice. Yeah. If I wanted to go down the path that I always thought that I did, which was doing something like what I've done now, this is what I needed to do. And, you know, I've been very lucky enough to have people who've pushed me in certain directions along the way and helped me push forward. But it's still me, right? And that's what I said about, you know, waking up in your own body. Like, I can't wake up in anybody else's body. I can't do anything else for them more than they'll allow me to or that I'll allow myself to do for them and this is exactly the same for me right any support that I would ask any of my friends or any of my loved ones or the people around me to to do they can only help me as much as I will let them do mm. you know I've got people who've sent me supportive texts or asked me to do something and I'll leave them unread for a couple of weeks because they know that I'll either reply within 10 seconds or if I haven't done it for a couple of weeks and then I know that I've not opened that <laughs> And then there'll be people listening to this who will know exactly what because they always call me out for it. And I'm like, <laughs> because they're such such close people to me. And then it's just classic text of, oi. And it's like, yeah, sorry, that was my <laughs> bad. But I'm aware of that. I've put those barriers in place for myself to go, I'm not going to open that for a little while. I know they're there. I know they're there if I need them. But I think that's because I'm lucky enough to have got relationships with people who, who are accepting of that and, mm. and understand me. So. We spoke earlier in the pod about people going traveling and doing things they've always wanted to do. And you did something this year that I did for the first time last year, which is solo traveling. Instead of a safer option, which I did, which is go to Norway in Oslo, you went to the other side of the fucking world <laughs> for a wedding, though. Yeah, yeah. And you went to New Zealand. So tell me about that. Yeah, that's amazing, mate. I think, yeah, it was such a lovely, as I've always wanted to go, it's always been number one on my bucket list to uh, get down to the Wales of the South Pacific. But yes. Did so, you just call it the Wales of the South Pacific? I did, yeah. <laughs> Has that ever been called that? By me. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So um, my international fans of One Pint Against Thursdays and, and the pod will be listening in. But yeah, it was it was so lovely because when I first moved to London, I lived with an Australian fella and then made friends with a couple of other Aussies and this Kiwi couple, um, Tom and Sarah, who, who got married and they were over here together, moved back home when the pandemic hit and whatever. So yeah, went down there for that. We got reunited, like the four of us, group of lads. So one of the boys has moved to the other side of Australia and met a lovely lady over there. One of the other boys, so Todd, the guy who I lived with, he's got married, he's got a child, he's got another one on the way. And this is all in the last couple of years. And obviously then Tom and Sarah have got married. And yeah, but that was like my first support network in London was that group mm. of people. And again, I probably didn't realise it at the time being 22 and just moved to the city for the first time. But I literally knew no one here. Like I knew a few people, a few of my really close friends. <laughs> you knew friends. hens. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and like, me, just yeah. about, that's about it. <laughs> lived three hours away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think the more and more you think about it, you think about how those people played a role in your part of your life and 
anyway, went down there and was able to spend some time with them before the wedding, get the band back together, right, and catch up with everybody about everything. And then, yeah, the wedding was amazing. Like, so, so different to a UK wedding. Like, it was in the middle of nowhere on a family member's farm. You had to walk through a river, like an actual river, to get to the ceremony. Got your suit shoes are in danger, mate. I'd take them off. (laughs) Genuinely, I'd take them off. There was towels on the other side, dry your feet, like genuinely walking through like a river with eels in it. The farmer, I've got a video on my phone, I'll show it to you later, it's mental. <laughs> the farmer's basically got a pet eel. This eel just comes and sees him every day. It's absolutely mental. Well, like a wild pet a eel. A genuine wild eel. That just comes to say hello to him. Yes, mad. That is mad. So, yeah, it was just amazing. I remember the day after, we were sat there after the wedding, and I was just sat on a hammock in my friend's parents' beach house drinking this lovely lion red lager which is like the fosters of new zealand and i was like nobody can be in a better mood than me right now i was like i'm in the middle of new zealand just loving my life it is a bubble isn't it such a bubble because everyone else is asleep in the world when (laughs) you are awake (laughs) yeah and then yeah but obviously then the wedding finished and then i then flew down to the south island and did like 11 days solo traveling there which was so cool bungee Um, jumping yeah, I did a bunch one of the of weirdest videos I've seen you post. Actually, just <laughs> just purely for the soundtrack. <laughs> well, mate, the amount of chat I've had from that soundtrack. <laughs> I caught up with my uh, my old housemates. At, uh, Is that your choice? No. no oh right, okay. No, it's default. Right. And literally, the amount of chat I've had about this bloody soundtrack for this video. <laughs> I literally got there. My mate went, "How is New Zealand? Do you need any more angles for the video? And why did you pick that soundtrack?" <laughs> I hadn't even sat down. So like, no, nice to see you too, mate. Happy New Year. But yeah, the best time of my life, mate. I'm just feeling so. I felt like I could have done anything I wanted to do and I just didn't care. I was just like, I'm just existing and existing in places and being lucky enough to have met the people that have opened that door for me five, six years ago. I literally met Tom and Sarah on a what was called the 12 Spoons of Christmas pub crawl that my mate Pete organised, where you basically started in a Weatherspoons of Ealing and made our way to one in London Bridge. That was how I met Tom and Sarah six years ago. And now... That's the door that's been opened for us and then went and travelled and met some amazing people along the way. Did you do one of those things where you thought, oh, if I hadn't have gone on that night out and just thought, oh, I'll just stay in and like all the life events, like a positive butterfly effect, basically. 100%. Yeah. Mate. You know, I'm a, I think we've spoken about it before, I'm a massive believer in fate, right? Everything happens for a reason, good and bad, left or right. Mm. You know, I'm not a religious man, but I do think there's something that probably makes things unfold in certain ways, good and bad. Yeah, massive believer in stuff like that. And I think there's... There's things that happen for a reason. Whether me going on that Spoons pub crawl, whether I would have gone to New Zealand in the same way, I don't know. But like my mindset when I was there was just so relaxed. Didn't that is what New Zealand is. That everyone is relaxed. So and you absorb whenever whatever country you're in, you kind of absorb the mantra or the vibe, don't you? It's unreal. Yeah. And I think I do think with the UK being the way we are and the weather, as I look out at this lovely rainy, it's been raining for the last forty-five minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> we do have. I know we touched on that work peace being so absorbing for a lot mm. of people at the start to just completely detract from that 100% amazing and I think that's probably something that the UK is we are so bad at that. it's hard it's really hard do you know why because everything's fucking expensive here and everyone's just trying to you talk about self-interest everyone's just trying to fucking exist right now mate and survive especially yeah. living in London Christ that's it so yeah I think yeah it was amazing you know such a different landscape and I think the way I did it was amazing the people I met along the way so fun had such a good time and yeah felt completely looked after by the people I met you know like my friend's family sorted me out massively they were great one of the guys I went to school with right he was in the year below me in school works at the bungee jump place in the middle of the South Island 
Yeah. You yeah. literally can find any Welsh person <laughs> ever. It's mental. And yeah, so shout out to Dup. Thanks for sorting me out on the bungee jump, mate. So wait, so you didn't even know this? I had no idea it was there. Year below you at school, end up working at the bungee jump place you went to. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're a magnet for random Welsh people. It's crazy. So yeah, it was amazing. So yeah, you know when you feel like the universe is just unfolding. Yeah, that must have been that. a moment like oh, that. Yeah. yeah. All right, all right, boy. <laughs> I've seen you in fucking 25 years, mate. <laughs> Matt, that was a terrible impression, friends. That's no, not my best. It wasn't my best. It wasn't um, my best. But yeah, amazing. New Zealand, best place I've ever been. I would encourage anybody who's lucky enough to go and do it. Flight's a bit long, mind. Yeah, yeah. I'll I was thinking about it on my way here, and I was like, is this about as far east as I've ever been in my life? And then, yeah, we realised um, Shanghai's a little bit further east. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, just a bit. Wouldn't recommend Shanghai Airport, by the way. Okay. You can't spend any money and you can't do anything. The first one is fine with me. I don't, someone doesn't no, no, spend no, no, money, in, I'm great. No, but you physically can't spend. Visa Mascard doesn't work. Is it? Yeah, mad. Well, they've really gone with the uh, cash is king. Hey, at least one country's doing it. <laughs> Let's reflect, mate, on your continued mental health journey. So in the last 3.9 years, what has this taught you about yourself? Yeah, I think... I think the first bit is the self-awareness piece and being aware of not necessarily the triggers because I think the triggers do change for myself. I'm mm-hmm. speak for myself. And my triggers do change, but I think it's my response to that and being aware of that has definitely accelerated. I think I have become significantly more empathetic in my day-to-day life and I think that's reflected in my support that I've given to people but also the support I've given to myself and touching on that separation and walking away from certain things and just feeling like you have to because you know I I remember the phrase I used when we were on the last time was problem solver I've always thought of myself as a problem solver and that is an impossible task in this space some of the time yeah you can be a problem solver with some things but yeah I think if you're supporting someone with mental health you know men are stereotypically solutions focused Mm -hmm. shall we say and if you're supporting someone in crisis, the last thing you should be saying to someone is like, oh, well, let's fucking sort this out. Da, 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 da. You have to go, no, let's listen first. And then at the end of the conversation, maybe let's try and find some ideas or solutions where you can go from here. And I think that's it. And I think especially with, you know, like the academic and career path I've taken, it's always been very much like you've got a year and you've got to do this by the end of this year, this, this, this. And you have to be very goal orientated to progress. That's just the nature of what I've done. So, you know, when you've, see something that doesn't necessarily have a timeline or a natural timeline you can see it going up down left and right in certain ways that's just very very different and I've noticed myself have to be more aware of that and have to be a little bit more patient because my time scales have changed like I've then moved from yeah things which change every year to stuff that doesn't and yeah I think that's the big thing for myself I would say they're the, the main two that have changed I don't think my outlook on anything has particularly changed in terms of how I would like people to think of me in this space it's like I think I'm still talk about I know my experience and I know the experience of the people that I've grown up with where we are in a small part of the world where nobody talks about anything nobody shows any sign of weakness or any sign of emotion and that's the bit that I've still tried to keep cutting through because that's completely authentic to me but I think I've then maybe just changed the way I support people to show that bit more empathy and a little bit less, yeah, goal orientation solutions focus is probably what I would say. 
We've talked about your continued mental health journey, mate. Let's talk about your continued advocacy journey now, which you've kept up brilliantly since we first checked in. So when we last spoke, you had just done your first Remember campaign? Second. Third. Third Remember campaign. And you've since done three more. You're consistent. So well done for that. I look like a twat for one time I did it. So fair play to you for doing it for, for six or five years, mate. You beat your previous personal best fundraising target in your 2023 campaign, I'm right in saying, which is a big achievement. So how much did you raise last year and across all of the campaigns you've done, if you've calculated it? Yeah, so last year, my personal one was about 1,300 quid, I think. And the campaign with, I think there was three of us at work that did it, it was about 1,700, which was good. But in total, it's about 30 grand all in. Wow. Um, yeah. Have you thought about that at all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really hit me actually when I actually got invited to the November Awards last year, which was really cool. So getting an email from a charity that's doing such amazing thing going, thank you, is a real like, a really proud moment in my life actually. And I think, yeah, I, I um, was able to take somebody with me, um, Joe Isaacs, friend mm-hmm. of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, yeah, so we've just, you know, we just had a great chat about stuff there. And yeah, the 2021 I basically got like, I think it was 80 people through work doing it because everybody was at home. Yeah, did like a Movember, Rovember, Govember, whatever people wanted to do. And yeah, amazing. And it's just accelerated from there. And yeah, that was a really special moment. But Did it feel life-affirming? Ooh, that's a phrase. Do you know what? I think if that happened, I don't know. I think at the time, because again, I was still like 2020, what was I, 24. I think then I felt really proud of what I'd done because there was still a, big I was very young in my career like I was very early in my career and I was managing to get 80 people in all different levels of seniority to do something that you know looks a bit silly but yeah it was a really special thing to be able to do and I really hope that the stuff that people would have opened their eyes to or maybe opened their hearts to has stuck with them for a little bit longer and I, you know the point of doing any of this Movember work that I've done is that I would always hope that anybody listening to any conversation that I might have opened or I might have had with them will help them when something arises in their mm. life. You know, you can never be complete. You can't expect to have a tangible impact and somebody come and tell you, oh, I've just had this this conversation immediately or I needed that for something I had last week or next week or whatever. But it's just raising that base level of understanding. Mm. And creating ripples. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing to have been a tiny little part of. So that's something I'm very proud of. And hopefully it'll continue. So, mm. yeah, I don't see my... My moustache growing for a month a year, slowing down anytime soon. I think it's um, something that, you know, I probably feel a fairly big connection to now as something that, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's something that I do and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Has it become part of your identity a little bit now? Um, I don't know if I'd say identity per se, but it's certainly something that I feel massively connected to, So, which I suppose you could call your identity, mm. right? So, yeah, I don't see myself stopping anytime mm. soon. So in the same way that I don't see one pint of Guinness Thursday stop anytime <laughs> soon, and that is definitely part of my identity then. That is 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. So maybe it is. Maybe it is. And why, out of interest, was it Movember that you continue to be persistent and consistent with, as opposed to maybe using it as a springboard to do different fundraising activities like run a marathon, a half marathon, or something completely different that I can't think of? Yeah. 
I mean, I won't say that I'm physically capable of running a marathon, uh, <laughs> as that being the deterrent for it. I mean, your back's fucked. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, so that's one thing yeah both my housemates are trained for a marathon at the minute and uh, i think the chat that they're dishing out if that's anything like me then i don't think i'd have many friends and <laughs> um, so yeah good luck with your marathon boys but keep, keep, keep your chat to yourself about your bath salts and your stretching oh no spare me <laughs> no i'm joking boys you do a great job yeah november being i think and i know we touched on it at the start i think the more and more i've become aware of where I probably feel validation through doing stuff for other people. And I think one of the phrases I've thought about myself is I probably live my life now trying to make other people's lives a little bit brighter, a little bit lighter, or a little bit more informed. And I think that sentence has really shone through with me since the pandemic and since, yeah, in the last four years of my life. And I think that's where November is such a, a lovely connection for me is that I've obviously had the door opening for it with what we touched on last time with my friend losing his life to suicide and I think the more and more I've seen people change because of mental health and mental illness that I feel that that's where the connection comes from me it's can I help somebody else to help the people in their lives and that ripple effect we just touched mm. on maybe be a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter, or a little bit more informed. So do you think that November is like a manifestation of that mantra? Yeah. I think it's a responsibility for my... I put it as a responsibility for myself now. That's mm. something, yeah, I feel responsible for sharing with anybody who listen or wants to listen. And that's something that I'm, I'm very proud of. How did you adjust to that responsibility then? Because there's one thing, assuming it and taking it, but as we've discussed many times in chats in the pub and stuff like that, and I've said to you, you know, doing the work that I've done and be able to give you some advice, people will come to you now. Mm-hmm. It's a power, being mental first aid trained. It's mm-hmm. a power, it's a responsibility, and not everyone can handle it, but also the people who can handle it, you need to have, I guess, the self-awareness and also the consistency, like we previously mentioned. How did you adjust to it? It's not easy. No, it's not, mate. I think stepping up, into positions of responsibility is something I've probably subconsciously done in quite a lot of areas of my life, probably since I was quite young as well. Like, again, I think the subconsciously bit is is something that I've become more conscious of as I've got older. I do think that's something I've always done. And I think then when I decided that this was something that I wanted to make louder and be a bigger part of, of my life and especially in my workplace, I don't know. I don't know. The more and more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm just like, it needed to happen. And I thought I was the right person to do that. And I I was doing this when I was like, in the workplace from like 22. Mm. There's a really important part of Jordan Peterson's second book where he talks about the power of assuming responsibility where there's a vacuum and enjoying stepping up. And I think there's a famous saying, I don't know who's ever said it, but it's something along the lines of leadership isn't requested, it's placed upon you and you step up or something along those lines is that something that you either subconsciously did or consciously did and and how did you enjoy that process as well yeah I think and again the more I've become aware of how I respond to different things like that the more I reflect on when I was younger you know we touched on it early on the pod where I think I always did the leadership roles that I did and I felt like it was for me to be like I'm the best or I'm the highest achiever or all of this but I I was probably never the best in any of those teams or scenarios or whatever, sporting, academic, whatever. But I think that the people who knew me and those decision makers probably thought 
the impact Sam can have on others is probably where his biggest strength lies. And I think I now, when I reflect back on it from when I was younger, I see that. And now I certainly see it with, um, yeah, like the boys in, on my football team, you knew the football team that I put together, didn't put the football team together for me. I'm not very good at football. But, you know, you're opening a door for people to do something that they love that they might not have been able to do. And then, again, things like my mystery trip, that's the thing that I do to get the boys back together once a year because we all live in different parts of the country now and it's not about me. I love it. It's my favourite weekend of the year, but it's about putting those environments together. And I think I've only become aware of that in the last year or so, that specific part. And I Mm. think... It sounds like you definitely enjoy it. I do enjoy it and I really do... I think it's interesting for me how my brain thinks what environment can I create that will serve other people more than it might do for me. And I do think that's kind of the way that my brain goes. But it's always been in stuff that I'm very authentic with. I think my authenticity is something that matters tremendously to me. And I think that's why people can notice when I'm when I'm off or not feeling mm. a certain way because it's, you know... And I found myself doing things... You are a Watson all man. I hope Similar so. to me. <laughs> what yeah. you see is what you get. I think yeah. so. It's very hard to fake fakeness with you, I think. As I well. try. Yeah, and I think that's been an important thing for the mental health side of things and the advice and stuff that I've given to people because I can only base it on what I know or what I think will help somebody. But also when... And talking about that point when enough becomes enough, if it was anything else, I would walk away from a certain situation if I felt like what I was trying to do wasn't achieving anything or wasn't helping. I don't know, let's say I've decided I want to become the world's best badminton player and I start playing badminton every day and I'm crap at badminton. If I knew that I was crap at badminton or I wasn't, you know, my efforts weren't being necessarily positively responded to, then I would stop playing badminton, wouldn't I? So Mm. I think it's impossible not to see similarities through that and, you know, detach where you need Mm. to. Let's reflect now. What's been your proudest achievement? Um, I think my proudest achievement has been opening doors for people that I don't think or I I can't guarantee would have been there without the work that I've done and the conversations that I've done and prioritising it not just one month a year you know that might be visibly where it's most most obvious to people but this is something that I try to breathe through every stage of my life and because authenticity is so important to me so it, it wouldn't be something I would talk about if it if it didn't matter to me. So I think it's the stuff that you don't see. One of the first things I said on the pod was about not that many people from back home have mentioned anything to me about it. They may well have listened to it and, and not known and not mentioned it to me because that's, again, just that kind of environment that we have that we don't necessarily talk to each other about stuff about. So, yeah, I think that will be the lasting legacy of it all will be the help that would have given to people that I can't guarantee would have been there. So that's why I need mm. to keep doing it when I keep meeting new people, different people coming in and out of their lives and in different situations. And yeah, I think that's what it's mm. And when it comes to the future, a great achievement that had happened in the time before we spoke now is that you became the lead for your internal mental health group at work. And that's evolved in the time that we've done this running order. So just tell me about that and what you hope to achieve in the future. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've been a part of the mental health team for since I joined the business actually in what 2018, and the lead left work for whatever reason. And yeah, I was then chosen to step up and lead it. And then what I really felt like there was a calling on me to do or responsibility for myself to do was to probably open up a few different 
avenues for exploring some of the roots of different things and some of the different origins of mental health impact. And because I think, you know, what we touched on earlier on about that's where my brain goes now is trying to understand the roots of mm. different things. And I think that's probably something that I still feel is missing. I still feel like a lot of the resources that are shared with people to help support those in need or. You're saying they're a sticking plaster rather than the surgery needed to heal. Maybe, maybe. Mm. I think that. I hear you. I hear you a lot. I think that's where my brain would have gone. And I think if I'd had more time in that role before, before moving. Um, yeah. It's only so much you can do in a work capacity as well. You don't know these people outside of their. Exactly. You know, and again, I think that's where, for myself, it's about facts and just trying to give people some information for them to interpret it how they want, but maybe in a couple of different avenues to mm-hmm. uncover, yeah, what the first building block for that person might have been. But yeah, I think that's something that I'm still particularly passionate about. You know, I might not be in that same team anymore, but, you know, I'm still in a very big business and another new bit that I'm going to be a part of. I'll touch people in, in multiple different countries, which may have much less sophisticated support like my business unit we have been given a lot of resource to do what we do and try to create the environment that we have the other parts of the world that i'll be touching on now have the same maybe not so i can see myself now probably feeling a sense of responsibility to do that as well so i'm gonna have to manage that that energy myself because i can see that situation Come in when, you know, November rolls around and people will see me with a silly moustache. They'll be like, what are you going on near me? But that's where it's about, right? Starting conversations. Mm, and, mm. and yeah, that's something that I want to keep doing. And as a final question, mate, what has the last three and a bit years in this advocacy role taught you about yourself too? Um, I think the biggest thing, Fred, is that you have to be aware of how anything impacts you. So be it positively be it negatively, maybe it take you on the slightly left, slightly to the right. And that's fine. Like, just because you do something in a mental health space doesn't mean that you're protected from anything that the world might throw at you or something <laughs> else, right? Of course. And I do think people always feel like, or very often will feel like, if they do something that they're protected from it, right? Like, you'll feel the same with, I don't know, any other example that's come to my mind is that like a, a religious person or like a priest or something might feel like they're completely protected from all other things that the world might throw at them when people ask them for advice, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just not realistic and you can't put the pressure on yourself to expect that to be your life. And I think that's been my biggest element. And again, I think talking about it and having maybe the outward expression of how I feel being quite comfortable to me, that I can verbalize that and i can understand that now but that's always not obviously going to be the case for, for everyone right so i think that's the biggest thing it's taught me and the one thing i'll continue to keep working on and keep trying to verbalize with myself is yeah it's all right to get hit by certain things but it's about how you bounce back and yeah as rocky says that's it mate mm. you've gone this entire podcast without saying that's a great question fred <laughs> which i'm sure you were conscious of <laughs> i was sam thank you so much for coming back on the just checking in podcast and talking to you mate thanks for having me well that's all we've got time for on this episode of the just checking in pod a big thank you to my mate sam for being my special guest once more and for letting me check back in with him as always thank you to all the vendors who've tuned into this episode Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and help us out. 
If you like what we're doing at Vent, please consider supporting our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or buy a Vent t-shirt. All of those links are on our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk to find out more about all the other ways you can financially support us. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Vent.